Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This one's a bit different. Going to be calling these drive time stories. Going to be stories from the past, about me, my family, could be anything. But uh, I think when you're driving, it's one of those times, at least for me, when you're thinking about the past or the present or the future. But uh, it's those long drives, those long trips. And people who know me now will say, but you rarely drive. Well, I don't consider commuting to the city driving. That's different. That's just road rage. That's just called traffic. That's gridlock. That's you sitting in the car, gritting your teeth, wishing you were anywhere else but in your car. So no, that's, that's not driving. Driving is uh, hitting the open road. Uh, where I grew up, sort of a small isolated town in the, de- in the desert, you, uh, you wanted to get to another town, it was going to be a bit of a drive. And so that's the kind of drive I'm talking about. When uh, it's just the sounds of the road, or maybe it's the radio, or maybe you've got good company with you and you're talking to them. But uh, it's funny that um, those are some of the best times to um, to have those kind of chats and, and think about the past and, and have some great stories. So this particular story is from when I was a child, probably about 9 or 10. And... Uh, We'll call this one the riverbank. So, growing up in Arizona near the Colorado River, a very commanding river where it starts, but once it gets down to the southwest, it's a little bit more tamed, but uh, still was certainly a fun river to grow up on. And uh, this particular story is really something that happened to my dad, but... I suppose it was through my perception at the time as a child and, and what I saw. So it's interesting. The images that stick with you through life, um, especially when it happens when you're young. And uh, yeah, sometimes they can really stick with you forever. So this one was interesting. I um, was sound asleep at night, uh, weeknight. And um, I remember my mom waking me up. And, uh, you know, when you're in your own little world as a kid, you really don't think about anyone else. You're just thinking about how it's disrupting your life. Um, But I suppose this wasn't so bad because it was a weeknight and uh, mom's waking you up. It's it's late. Um, So you're confused, panicked, but also um, interested in whatever's going on because, hey, it's uh, it's like almost midnight and uh, and you're up. So that's different. So that's new. So, you know, as a kid, you just roll with that. Um, but she said we had to uh, go get my father because he had been gone um, that whole night. Uh, and I remember that um, she was obviously a bit emotionally distraught. He hadn't come home. But, you know, as you do, you have to do the routine as a kid, get ready for school. So so I was in bed, but I'm sure she was up worried and panicked. So, yeah, she woke me up and said we had to go 
pick my dad up. And um, obviously all very intriguing because I had no idea where we were going and what we were doing uh, at midnight on a school night. Um, but essentially, he had been out looking for a friend of his who had disappeared. Uh, and this was a good friend of his. His friend went fishing that morning, apparently, and he hadn't come back and had been missing all day. And, uh, my dad went looking for him. And, um, he himself ended up disappearing, obviously. So... So the uh, the mystery unfolds there, and uh, and yeah. So my mom's in a panic, waking me up, saying we've got to go pick him up. So you you break from your slumber, yeah, you, you know, yeah. I don't know if I was in my PJs or what. Probably, no, I probably get dressed. I don't know. But uh, I remember in the car on the way over, she wasn't saying a lot, and uh, we were driving towards town. Again, I don't know where she wasn't saying. Uh, or not that I remember. And, uh, it turns out we ended up um, on the Colorado River Banks. And, uh, I remember these images standing out vividly. Uh, we pulled up in the car. Pitch black, dark night. And there were all these police cars on the riverbank. Um, so, you know, just see the flashing lights. And um, my mom said to stay in the car. And she walked over. And uh, I stayed near the car, but I, I do remember I got out and, and stood up. And was watching from afar. Like I say, all those, those bright strobing lights from the police cars. Uh, I do think there was an ambulance as well. Uh, so all that's going on. And the thing is, in the background, I heard this very tragic voice screaming uh, and crying, kind of a crying screaming. Just someone obviously emotionally distraught. And uh, I couldn't tell who it was. And it was just this horrible sort of crying out and a bit of talking in between couldn't understand what they were saying but I did see that the cops were around this person consoling them and the voice was sobbing and crying and just uh, that, that kind of you know unrest uh, just you know when you hear it you know this person is, is needing to be calmed down and I looked closer and I could see just in the flashing of the lights uh, across his face that it was my dad and look when you're young like that whether you're a boy or a girl whether it's your mother or your father you know you see your parents a certain way and I will tell this from the point of view of a young boy again I'm I'm not making any commentary on gender I'm just saying as a young boy seeing your father like that I'll be honest it was just especially frightening and concerning and confusing because again when you're young you don't have a command of all your emotions so they all hit you at once it's the kind of um, you know fight or flight instinct I, I, I actually did feel like I wanted to just run away or escape and at the same time be there or do something but I didn't know what to do I was pretty much just frozen 
and and like I say, he continued to sort of you know cry and be obviously emotionally distraught as they were consoling him and, and speaking to him. And uh, you know when you picture your father, my dad was a very commanding presence, tall guy, had a big commanding beard, and you know he's a dad. Dads have that power, the dad power. And uh, seeing him like that really affected me. And it, that image has stuck with me to this day, I tell you. Um, because, you know, you, again, you don't have the understanding or the language to pinpoint what emotions are when you're that age. And you just can't imagine that your parents could even have a range of emotions, except, you know, when they're angry at you because you've, you've done something wrong or happy. Not a lot in between, not a lot of nuance and gray when you're a kid when it comes to emotions. And I certainly couldn't imagine that my dad had this level of emotion, that something could have affected him in this way to be making that voice and looking in that way. So yeah, again, that's from my point of view. I can't even imagine from his point of view what was he was going through with whatever it is that had affected him like this. But from my point of view, it was it was haunting enough and scary enough and affected me. Um, so I found out later that my dad had actually taken our boat out, and uh, at the time he was he was very big into fishing. He probably was his his whole life, but at that time, when I was around that age, probably even ten. To to say 13 or so um, we had a boat um, I thought that boat was cool I remember that boat I thought it was odd it had the the steering wheel that wasn't a steering wheel it was actually a, a lever on the left hand side the right hand side was the throttle but the left hand side was for steering and I think it was forward was right and back was left I always thought that was odd I don't know if that was a fishing boat thing or what but I just thought yeah we had the most most odd fishing boat <laughs> but yeah he had taken the boat out apparently to look for his friend who had also gone fishing earlier that day and uh, you know it's a bit scary uh, at night that he was out there at night because look I mean in the world of fishing you certainly have to get up early and that uh, was not one of my favorite parts of fishing, let me tell you. Uh, the notion of getting up at 4 a.m. to go catch a fish, uh, you know, screw the fish, man. Uh, I ain't getting up that early. But there was many a time I did, and I must say that did change, and it usually does for, for every kid. When you catch your first fish, I think I have a photo of that somewhere, uh, then everything changes, you know. Um, a switch gets flipped, and then, yep. You go from, I don't want to be here, and I remember that, to saying, we are not leaving this boat. We're not leaving. I remember that one time specifically. Yep. I caught that fish, and I said, we are staying. But uh, as a whole, getting up early, not that exciting. Uh, and to be out on the Colorado uh, at night or early in the morning, uh, it's a little bit scary when there's no light. The Colorado as it is, you know, growing up in the river, you do have to have a respect for it. And uh, I know how to swim, but even then, uh, I respect the body of water I'm in 
whether it's the tub, a pool, the ocean, a river, whatever. Uh, you know, you don't get cocky. And the Colorado especially, uh, you know, there are some very scary little twists and turns and, and eddies, and, and there used to be these whirlpools, and I'm not making this up just for flavor and color of the story. I remember these, and I've known people who've got caught up in these, and I've felt them pull me down. So, you know, as the river's moving and churning, you might hit this swirl, and it's literally a little whirlpool, and it's strong, and they can absolutely pull you right down and keep you down, even if you're a strong str swimmer. So if you're not a very confident swimmer, you're in deep shit. So yeah, the Colorado is certainly treacherous, and to think of my dad out there is, uh, is a bit scary. So he's there on the, on the riverbank, I'm watching him, and I'm just trying to figure out what, what is it that has affected him like this? What has he seen? What's happened to him? Well, it turns out when he was out uh, on the boat, uh, I think he had the, the searchlight on, and he was uh, looking at trying to find in the areas of where his friend was to see if he could find him. And apparently when he was out there, heard a thud uh, bump on the boat and he turns the light to the water and sort of bobbing there face up resting against the boat in the water is his friend so I suppose you know I think about it nowadays we're so desensitized with movies and horror movies and, and just as you get older in general but I don't care when it's a, a close family member or a friend or, or anybody for that matter, to be honest. That sort of image, and especially when it was a good friend, uh, would certainly be something that would send shivers up my spine and affect me. So I didn't know that at the time. I only found out that uh, later on. And it all obviously makes sense as to what had affected him so bad. Um... You know, you always have high hopes, I suppose, when someone is missing. And you expect, as anyone does, to find them, to find them well. And uh, to speak to them again and say, oh boy, we sure, we sure were scared there for a minute, but we're glad to have you back. You know, your worst fears, of course, are always there, but I suppose you sort of push them down and you don't expect to find that. And, and not like that. Not to actually find them. Um, floating in the water, um, dead, you know, bumping onto your boat in the night. It's quite a haunting image that I'm sure affected him, and just the idea of that, and seeing his face that night, and hearing those sounds, hearing his voice screaming, you know, those have always stuck in my mind. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just become this, this story in my mind that I wanted to tell. So, I mean, look, that's, uh, that's life, these things happen, but uh, they certainly can't affect you. So, yeah, obviously he found his friend, and um, in the worst way possible. And, um, again, I don't know all the specifics, but I assume they were all there. Uh, the police and the, and the ambulance and everything. Uh, I'm sure they were collecting the body, and he was telling them the story. And, um, yeah, I'm sure it was not not a good night for them but uh, 
you know, the other thing, and again, I found this out later, too. Um, I don't think his friend knew how to swim, which, again, boggles my mind, but there's a lot of people like that, to be honest. There's people who fish, there's people who sail, even, and they don't know how to swim. You know, they, I suppose, rely very heavily on, on trust and skill and, and the vessel they're in, but personally, I don't think you should ever do that. Um, I just think you really need to, to be smart and every kid should learn how to swim. It should be just a standard thing. Uh, uh, because at some point you're going to end up near water in your life. I'm sorry to say the planet is mostly water. But um, the other part of the story is there was also some discussion, I think, about um, whether it actually was an accident. I think there was also something else, and I'd have to clarify this with my mom, who would set me straight, I'm sure. But I think there was talk of sort of uh, possible suicide as well, which adds more mystery to it. But uh, either way, for my dad, obviously... Uh, a horrific night and the other takeaway from it that I have and I'm sure both of them would deny this now my dad has, has passed away a few years back so I wouldn't know from him but my mom would probably deny it uh, but you know th there was a time when they were together and they they separated when I was was a teenager but there was a time when, when there was love um it's like that for every couple. I don't care what they say. And then that night, I must say, I did see that. I saw emotion in her face, and I saw that they they were there for each other. And um, like I say, irrespective of what happened later in life, at that time, it was nice to see that from, from a kid's point of view. You know, you do want to see that from your parents. It does help you. It supports you and builds who you are later in life, I must say those positive aspects of family so coming from a tragic experience yes something that happened that was that was bad but um, their connection um, I remember that as being something really really sweet and nice to see but uh, yeah so that's that's my story of the riverbank and uh, look I'm sure there's more to it if I do find out some more details from the family um, and maybe there'll be a part two. Maybe there's still more to it that I don't even know about. But uh, those parts enough, those images have been in my mind for quite a while, and they um, they stick there. Like I say, from my point of view, it was quite haunting. And from my dad's point of view, I'm sure it was haunting, but maybe in a different way. But uh, as I said, he's passed away, so a lot of those stories I won't be able to get, uh, which is a bit sad. So I have to rely on a lot of the stories from my point of view, or what I hear from others. But that's alright, there's plenty more stories out there. And uh, that's the great thing about stories, they can, they can instantly become legend. And um, that's the great thing. Um, whether it ends up becoming a, a movie, or a TV show, or a book, it all started with a story. Um, even if it's fiction, it all came from a spark somewhere, I must say someone felt or saw something that sparked them to tell the story around the campfire you know the old caveman days that's where it starts and that's um that's why a story is is so amazing 
when especially when they get passed on from generation to generation I'm sure some things get embellished some things get edited but in the end it is fascinating uh, stories in general so there you go that's drive time stories I hope you enjoyed that maybe you're at home maybe you're driving yourself but uh, either way I hope you enjoyed listening and I'll definitely be back for more all right talk to you later bye <laughs>